boys and girls, and welcome to episode 12 of the Nothing to Play podcast, a mediocre podcast about video games, movies, and cat vomit. As always, it's your boy, Justin Time Carter, and we're back from a uh, short break. I was on vacation, so it was hard to record, but uh, we got a new guest, one that's never been on the Nothing to Play podcast before. We have a, uh, a man who likes Legend of Zelda more than Miyamoto himself, Scott Clark. Wow, that is a tall order. I don't know if I love it that much, but uh, I do love me some Legend of Zelda, that's for sure. I've seen your shelf, and I yeah. think it's a uh, valid argument. <laughs> uh, and, and it's growing, man. Every every time I go to a convention or something, I find something new to add to it, or people send me stuff that, that is Zelda-related. I, I don't have any room left. I actually need to buy or build another shelf just to house all of the Zelda stuff I've got. And it drives my wife crazy, because it just sits Dude, there, but I love I it. I was like... Half the time I see anything where you're tagged in a post on Facebook, it's usually someone taking a picture of something Zelda really. And they're like, do you have this, Scott? Yeah, I know. Like, no. <laughs> no. And I'm like, and I hate you for showing that to me because now I have to have it. <laughs> you're like, I'm on Amazon right now adding it to my cart. Yeah, much to my wife's chagrin. I, I, she, she actually gives me crap about it because, um, you know, whenever I buy something on Amazon, she gets an email saying, hey, order confirmation. And she's like, I saw you ordered another Zelda thing. And I'm like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> There's no hiding it. Nope. Can't get away from it. Man, so how have you been, man? It's been a while since I've uh, even talked to you recently. It's been a long time, man. It's been crazy, very busy. Uh, the summer was insane because we had uh, R2V2, that video game convention that uh, we hosted here in the Rockford area. And that was so much more work than I thought it was going to be. It, it basically consumed my summer. But it wound up being an awesome experience, and we're already planning for next year. And uh, I, I can't wait to see where that goes and just how much bigger and bigger that gets. Very excited. Dude, that's awesome. I was like, uh, for those of you that don't know, I was like, Scott hosts a podcast called The Gaming Outsider, which is a video game podcast. And he also does the Hollywood In Insider it's actually the Hollywood Outsider, but I actually am not a regular host on that show anymore. Uh, that what? was my that was my. That's, uh, that's how long it's been. It's been. It has been a while. Well, what happened was is uh, in December I graduated with with a master's degree, and when I started taking that two year cohort program, I was doing the Gaming Outsider and the Hollywood Outsider at the same time while working full time and studying for a master's degree, and it just became too much, and I had to let something go. So I stepped away from The Hollywood Outsider, not for any bad reasons, but uh, just needed to cut something out of my life, and uh, and that was it. So, And now that the master's degree is over, they've since moved on, and they've got new hosts, and I'm very happy for them. But uh, it's okay, because I'm very, very busy with The Gaming Outsider, as, you, as you've seen. We're, we're, <laughs> we're just plugging along like crazy. I know, dude, and that... Uh... R2V2 event that you were talking about. It was crazy. You had like radio commercials for it, I saw, and yeah. stuff that like people were posting on. And you had flyers. Like it looked like there was a pretty big turnout too from all the pictures. Yeah, we had f over 450 paid attendees, and uh, we wound up actually turning a profit on the event, which was insane. Uh, we were not expecting that. We were we were pretty much expecting to take a loss. Uh, it wound up being a very successful event, and uh, we haven't taken any of that profit for ourselves everything that we're doing is going back towards next year or back into our community because uh, that's, that's what we love to do we're not we're not in this to make money we're in this to uh make gaming a thing and and uh kind of unite everybody together as a gaming community and that's what i love about it dude that's cool was that the first event like big event like that that you guys did 
It was. We have done like, uh, you know, house parties where we had people come over to play Jackbox party games or something like that. But uh, this is the first community, you know, for for the local community event that was out out in public, and uh, it went it went shockingly well, and we made some new fans and um, even acquired a new writer. We've got a new guy that's writing for our, for the site now that uh, is is doing regular things for us, which is really cool. And we met him at the show. He uh, he was the first one in the door, and he stayed the entire twelve hours that we were there, which is kind of crazy. So now that um, now that you don't host on the Hollywood Insider, do you guys do movie stuff on the Gaming Outsider too now? Besides just the games, not really. I saw movie reviews or. Not not movie reviews. You might see. I mean, because we we're, we're we kind of consider ourselves like sister podcasts because you know I, I I helped found the Hollywood Outsider and the Gaming Outsider. Obviously, from the name was an an extension of the Hollywood Outsider, and so we scratch each other's back. So you might see some of uh, the stuff from the Hollywood Outsider on there. I was actually uh, a guest on the Hollywood Outsider recently because one of their hosts, one of their regulars, uh, needed to step away for a week. Uh, something came up, and so I just filled in. That's, maybe that's what you saw. But uh, Okay, that might have been it. Yeah, it, w- it was fun to be back on there and, and chat with the guys and, uh, uh, well, I guess Amanda and the girl. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not just guys anymore. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We did, uh, and I even did a Patreon episode with them. So I actually recorded two episodes in one night, and it's, uh, it's always a good time chatting movies with those guys and TV shows. Dude, that's dope. Yeah, dude, this month's just been... I just got back from Portland, and while I was in Portland, they had their annual... It's like a retro game convention and stuff while I was there, and they had like a shit ton of like pinball machines and stuff from... They have Ground Control there, which is like a gaming bar and stuff that they donated a bunch of cabinets and pinball oh, machines yeah. and stuff. I go to Ground and, Control every time I'm in Portland. That place is phenomenal. They've actually expanded it. It's much bigger than it was before. It's it's outstanding. Yeah, dude, it was super cool. They had some other. There was like some other gaming. We went to like a couple different gaming bars while we were in Portland. Um, Ground Control was, of course, like the more like actual cabinets. Where the other one that we went to more had like consoles, and they had some PCs and stuff set up where you could play mm-hmm. stuff. And they were streaming like the Tetris World Championship and stuff that was going on while we were there, but. There is a place in Portland or just outside of Portland, and the name is escaping me. I wish my buddy Mike, uh, who who got married in Portland, that's why I was out there, uh, took me to while I was there. It is like a pinball, I wouldn't call it a museum, but holy cow, man, this place, you've got to go there the next time you're in, you're in Portland. I, I love pinball, so it's it was, it was heaven for me. But uh, it, I have never seen so many pinball machines so many well-maintained pinball machines in one place. It's called Quarter World, Quarter World Arcade. Next time you were there, you have to go to Quarter World. It's it's outstanding. It's just, I'm talking their head would have been 100, 150 pinball tables there, and then they had arcade games on top of that. It was just in a giant warehouse. I was in I was in absolute heaven. Dude, that's not. I was like, because at Ground Control, I mean, I easily like, because for the pinball machines, it's like seventy five cents or something. Like, I dropped like five dollars in like twenty minutes yeah. on pinball machines well, while I was there. That's what's cool about about uh, Quarter World is you pay like your ten, fifteen, twenty bucks, or whatever, and then everything's just set to free play, so you don't have to worry yeah. about it. That's, I mean, that's awesome. It is great, and they just take good, such good care of their machines, and everything just 
is angled the right way, and they have old machines, they have brand new machines. They're just everywhere. It was I would, I did not want to leave. I, I, I wish I could have stayed for another day or two just to just to stick around and play pinball. There's actually an app um, on my phone that my buddy turned me on to to like keep track of your your pinball scores like on an actual machine, which is pretty cool. It is called a Pindigo, P-I-N-D-I-G-O. And it's really clever how it works because, you, you know, you can't just go on the honor system because people just jack it up. So you, when you post your score, they have all the machines listed in there. You find the machine, you post your score, but you actually have to take a picture of the screen, you know, the, the LCD screen to prove that, that you had the score at that, at, at that table. And then it logs in there and you've got leaderboards with your buddies and, and you kind of competing. But it's a way to do it with real pinball tables and kind of compete around the around the nation, so to speak. You know, I, I played a lot of Pinball FX, which has the leaderboards built in with your online friends. But it was a really cool way to do it with an actual physical pinball tables. And it, it's just it was so much fun. Dude, that is pretty cool. I was going to say when you were talking about that, I was like, I was thinking when you were saying like people chill, I was like, well, I was like, why don't you just take a picture of it? And then when you said picture, I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, that makes sense that you would yeah. do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you get a little notifi- push notification when somebody beats your score, you know, so that's always, that was always really kind of cool. That's cool. Kind of adds that little extra like competitive layer to it that someone just like, you know, yeah. like right then and there when someone tops it, you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, is that Mike, my buddy, my he's the only buddy I have on Pindigo. He lives in Portland and he has access to ground control and quarter world and all these countless other places. I live in Rockford. We don't even, I can't even tell you where one pinball machine is in the city of Rockford. So <laughs> we don't have a place like that. And uh, maybe I should remedy that. Hmm. There you go. Starting because I'm not busy enough. I'm just gonna start another business. <laughs> yeah, <You're> like. <laughs> You're like the pinball outsider. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, nobody would listen. Who wants to sit and listen to people talk about pinball? <laughs> it's like the one the one game that ever I bring up on the gaming outsider. Everyone's just like, oh, Scott's talking about pinball again. But I love it. Oh man, I was like, have you uh, have you been playing anything cool recently, game wise? Oh man, I've been playing. I've been playing a lot. Uh, it's been kind of crazy to keep up with with everything. Uh, that we've we started developing relationships with PR reps that are actually sending us review copies of games, and we're constantly trying to keep on top of them and play them as quickly as possible and get the reviews out, which is awesome. Uh, you know, 13-year-old me is, I, I want to high-five that kid because he's super excited that I'm getting games from developers to, to try out before they come out. But it's a lot of work to keep up with it. And the number one game that I want to talk to you about is, uh, it, since you're an indie developer yourself, this is a smaller title called Children of Morta. Have you played this game yet? I've heard of it. I haven't got a chance to play it yet. It's been out on Steam or PC for a while, but uh, I, it finally came to console this past month, and I, I was able to get a review copy of it. And it reminded me of, it looked like Moonlighter a little bit in terms of like the dungeon crawler. So that was a big turn on for me because Moonlighter was one of my top favorite games of last year. I just absolutely adored it. And this one is... Closer to like if you if you're familiar with Diablo, I assume, right? Yes. Imagine if Diablo were a uh, roguelike, but you have actual a, a skill tree that's a little bit more intricate than than Diablo. Uh, the graphics are a little pixelated, but it doesn't bother me. I actually really like it, and uh, 
it is it is so much fun because it's it, you ever play a roguelike where it's just like all right just one more run i got this i'm gonna i'm just gonna do one more run and then three hours later you're 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 dying again it's it's, it's so good they've managed to in this game incorporate a story in a roguelike in a way that i've never seen before because most roguelikes you get a little tiny bit of story at the beginning and then the rest of the game is just gameplay right so in this one you come across these instances that I feel are triggered based on how far your level, your character is leveled. And it'll just give you a tiny little tidbit of a story. And then when you either win that dungeon or get killed in the dungeon and you wind up back at the, the family's house, it gives you a little bit more story and it's all done with actual voiceover by this incredible narrator that just makes it seem like he's telling a really good story. And he just, you know, he's got this real deep baritone voice and it's, ugh, it's really good. And then on top of that, the, the level progression is just fantastic because you start with only only uh, one playable character. And then as you come across these instances, you're actually given, you, you come across other characters, other family members, and each family member plays incredibly different. Now, like in a Diablo, you've got different characters that, that you know, you might have a ranged character, you might have one that's like a tank or something like that, but... Basically, everything is controlled the same, right? You, you attack in a direction and you have four different abilities that you, you choose from your skill tree. Well, in this one, you've got a, like what I call the Mario character that is very well-rounded, that, that doesn't excel at one thing. He's just a, a good at everything or yeah. average at everything. He's like the base. Yeah, and he's kind of a melee character and he's got a sword and shield. And then the, the sister that you wind up getting is a ranged character and she's an archer. But there's an added ability that you can't, you can move and shoot at the same time, but you have like a stamina meter that keeps you from being able to do it for as long as you want to. So, of course, that's a stat that you can increase to make that last longer. And um, you're, you're kind of playing on how long can I hold this before, and fend off the enemies before I got to dodge and roll and get out. It's, it's, it's really cool. Then you get a little brother character that has, that there's, He's melee as well, but he has these very small knives, and he moves very quickly. And he has unlimited roll ability, so he can dodge like crazy. And uh, then you've got a another brother that I've unlocked. His name is not Daryl, but uh, catch that reference now. <laughs> and uh, he's he's like strictly like a martial artist, but he's very powerful. But he's also easily damaged. So you've got this push and pull. And normally when I play a game like this, I always find that one character that I stick with. You know what I mean? Like even if you even with Diablo, you find that one character and you stick with that for like the majority of the game until you decide to move on to another character to level that one up. In this one, the game incentivizes you to play with all of the all of the family members at different times because as you go up the skill tree with each character, it actually unlocks these family traits that up your stats, but not just yours, it actually applies to the whole family. So I find myself when I'm trying to depict which player I want to choose, I'm actually picking the one that has the lowest stats because he'll be easier to level up. He or she will be easier to level up. And then I'm getting stats that boost the entire family instead of just my one character, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of a cool way to like incentivize forcing the player to like try out different characters and stuff. Exactly. Like incentivizing it. And it's also got that Binding of Isaac bit where you come across a random random ability or weapon or um, 
rune or something like that 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 you, that's the beauty of Binding of Isaac is finding that perfect combination of items, some that you that you've never come across before that just work and make make it a badass run, right? Yeah. And that's how this is. You just get that perfect, you know, combination of things that work and just make it an awesome run. And it makes each run feel fresh again. I just I just absolutely love it. And um, I'm actually not as far into it as you would think. The, the, the first world has three dungeons, and I've only beat the first two. But I've put six or seven hours into it. And it never is not fun. Every time it's just a new experience, and I'm getting a little bit more story and getting this character development from these minor characters, and um, and you're fleshing out the lore of what's going on in this world and trying to figure it out as you go. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's going to be in my top ten for sure this year. I mean, I say that, and Star Wars is coming out you know, in a couple <laughs> weeks. So, uh, yeah, Children of Morta. If you haven't played that one, I highly, highly recommend it. If you like roguelikes. Yeah, I was looking at a after you brought up the name because I knew the name sounded familiar, and I went on like Google Images and was looking at pictures, and the art really reminds me kind of of like a, like Hyperlight Drifter, yes. stuff like that. Like sure. kind of the like camera angle, original kind of Legend of Zelda angle, pixel, but like a little more isometric. Angle. Yeah, yeah. That, it's it's really great. I I wish I didn't have all these other games I had to play because uh, I I want to go back to that one, but it's it's really good. And you told me you were uh, playing the uh, Outer Wilds. Oh, uh, the Outer Worlds, Outer, actually. Outer Worlds. God damn See, they fucking... I, every time <laughs> this Outer Wilds came out, and then it's like Outer Worlds, and they're so similar. I'm like... Yeah. They're both space stuff, and I'm like, man... I didn't actually play Outer Wilds. Uh, Chris from our show played it, and he really liked it quite a bit, but uh, it didn't seem like one that would work for me. But I am digging Outer Worlds for sure. It is... I mean, do you like Fallout? Fallout 3? Fallout 4? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, this is Fallout in space. I mean, it it really is down to the dialogue trees that you have with with everybody, and you have persuade or intimidate, and you're you're. Uh... <coughs> Sorry for the other point, man. <laughs> it's fine. Sorry about that. Woo. Write that timestamp down. Uh, so you you're pumping all these. Your skill tree, every time you level up, you get 10 points that you can put into anything. And it's basically your special abilities, right? And I'm just – whenever I play Fallout, I always put everything into into the conversations, like Persuade. So I'm just talking my way through everything, which is, which is great. And it's first-person shooter, but the world just feels more science fiction-y than a Fallout, which I know Fallout is very science fiction, but it's very post-apocalyptic you know, post-nuclear war, everything's drab and dreary. And uh, this feels like, it, it feels like a, a thriving world that is trying, that has overcome a Fallout-esque civilization and is is way beyond where we were in Fallout. And it's, uh, so things are more bright and colorful. It almost gives you that uh, No Man's Sky vibe and how it looks, like just random creatures that don't make any sense. But uh but not that out there. It's really good, and the and the gunplay is good. It's not, you know, I, I started playing this directly after finishing the new Modern Warfare that just came out from Infinity Ward, which the gunplay in that is just perfection. So this, you know, after playing that and coming to this, it's, you know, it's a, a bit of a downgrade. But they've done something different because in Fallout you had the VAT system, right, which I yeah. loved. 
So they don't have vats, but what they do is they have this time mechanic where you're able to slow down time for as long as your gauge lasts. And every movement that you make makes it go down even further. So if you actually take a step while you're in this mode, it drains faster. Or if you fire a shot or, or swing your melee weapon, it goes faster. But you can turn your head and look around and your meter will go down very, very slow. So it kind of works like VATS where you can actually target something, but you don't have unlimited time to do it. And uh, obviously that's a stat that you could increase and, and do it. But it's it's the story is is a, a little goofy. The humor is not quite to a Borderlands level of absurdness, but uh, there there's definitely some tongue-in-cheek and anti-capitalism jokes going on in there. And uh, I am I am enjoying the decisions that you have to make. They're very gray in that there, there never seems a good decision to make and you kind of have to pick sides like in a Fallout game. And I'm, I'm in the middle of a tough decision right now about which settlement I'm going to uh, divert power from and to. Because I, uh, I, I like both parties and I don't really want to <laughs> piss anybody off. So they actually give you the ability to have a conversation with one of the leaders of the faction and then go back to the other place to have a conversation with the leader again and say, well, this person said this, what do you say about that? And I'm still trying to decide which way I want to go, which is, which is fascinating. So I'm really liking the outer worlds quite a bit. It, it feels like a true, a, a true, more polished, refined fallout new Vegas, which is another obsidian game. And, uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it looks really, I know it's on, Xbox Game Pass and stuff, so I still I still need to download it because I've been lazy and haven't done it. But it looks oh, you like are, you have Game Pass and you haven't downloaded it. I know, I know. It's well, I like just got back on Monday, and then of course I had to like unpack and like do all sorts of shit. So yeah, but yeah, the fun of like going to LA and then being back for a week, and then going to Portland for a week, and then coming back and Having to clean the house after four dogs destroyed it. It <laughs> does not sound like fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's been a trip, but no, it looks cool because it looks like fall. It basically looks to me like Fallout meets Borderlands in that sense of like yeah. kind of like. I would say the gunplay isn't quite as twitchy as uh, as Borderlands. Borderlands is just fast and frenetic and you know, thousands of guns. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's lots of weapons in here, but it, you're going to get better weapons by tink tinkering with them a little bit more and, you know, dismantling and adding those bits to yours to upgrade them. And and then you get mods that, uh, you know, not only make your guns better, but also may increase some of your character's stats. And then you can equip, you can get party members and you can equip mods and armor to them to increase your party stats. And it's just a constant, how am I gonna make? How am I gonna make this better? How am I gonna make uh, my stats increase? Which is what I love in an RPG. Yeah. Whereas Borderlands, it's like every ten minutes you find you're like, ooh, new weapon, and then you just toss the other one to the wayside. Yep, that's pretty much what it is. You just market this junk, and the next time you go to a shop, you sell all your junk, and and then you're and then you're done. And I know that you're a Gears of War guy. What do you think of Five? I really liked it quite a bit. It was uh, a lot of people complained about it because it just felt like Gears, and I'm like, I wanted it to feel like Gears. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I found myself wishing that they had not done the open world 
portions of it because I just felt distracted by that. And, uh, you know, it's the first time we played a Gears game where I was worrying about going from A to B. Like, where do I go? Where, where, where do I, I just, just put me on a <laughs> linear path. That's a Gears game. But good God, that game is stunning on a, on a 4K TV. It just looks absolutely beautiful. And played a good portion of it in co-op, and uh, there was a tough decision to make at the end that's going to uh, affect the story in, in 6, which is inevitably coming. And But uh, it's, it's more Gears. and I, I haven't even touched the multiplayer. That's, that's how busy I've been, because uh, Gears Online used to be my jam back in the day. I was, I was getting pretty good at Gears. Not like top 100 or anything like that, but I was playing it so much that I was that was holding my own. It was probably the the best multiplayer game I had ever been. Um, but alas, that was back in the day. What about you, man? What have you been playing? Um, well, I was playing Gears. I still need to beat the campaign because yeah. I think I only got. I think I'm like on like I think the first part of like Act Four. Okay, so. And the, I do agree with the open world part and stuff. Like, it's there's just nothing in it either. Like, there's nothing really to do. And the, there's no, like, at least in Borderlands, when you're going from, like, A to B, like, some people will come in a vehicle or something and, like, attack or there's creatures to run over and stuff, but it's just, like, desert or snow or whatever yeah. as far as the eye can see. But I thought it was cool that they at least attempted it in a way like even though it was like boring whatever it like gives me hope that it's like okay they tried it like they're gonna learn from it and then maybe like there will be like a better version of it in the next one or something like that yeah i don't know man i hope they just go back to on rails <laughs> that's that's just what that's what gears is to me i mean i like i i didn't even when i did try to do a couple of the side i wouldn't call them missions but what, like the like these caches that you find that you clear out and then you get some some bonus stuff I never felt like it was worth it. For oh, me. yeah, I would just ignore that. Because like, I was like, yeah, you don't get anything of any real value for doing it. So I'm like, this is just a waste of time. Like, I'm just going yeah. from A to B. At least riding that skiff felt cool. You yeah. Know? That was that, that. But, you know, after 20 minutes of doing that, it, the novelty's over. It looks exactly. cool, but, but uh, I, I need to go chainsaw some guys in half to, to get my interest. Yeah, I thought horde mode was better in this one than it was in four. Okay. Um, like just because I like horde mode in three, I think is still my all-time favorite. Just because I spent an ungodly amount of hours <laughs> playing horde mode in three. I did with two. Two is where I played a lot of horde, and that was when I had a regular group of guys that I could hop on at any time of uh, you know after work. And there would be at least three or four of my buddies playing it. it, it three or four of my massive group of Gears guys. And just be, it, it became a joke. I would just send a message to everybody and be like, got room? Question mark. Like, <laughs> is there a spot for me? Can you slide me in somewhere? And usually, usually found a spot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. for I remember I used to play a ton of two as well. And that was the whole like, all right, you got to pick up the shields, and then, like, when the timer starts, put the shields back down so we don't lose them. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, block off doorways and stuff. And you have to go back and the reposition shields. the shields. I forgot about that. Man, that, yeah. was, that was good. Run and pick up everything before the timer starts because then it's all going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Whereas yep. I think now in the new one, like, stuff stays on the ground now, so you don't have to, like, scurry to try and, like, fight to pick up all the ammo before time runs out. That's good. 
I'm going to have to go back, back in there and, and play some Horde because Horde was always a good time. I, I love cooperative stuff better than, than competitive. I say that as a guy that, that played a lot of competitive gears, but um, I just like working together with people. Did you uh, play skate mode at all? I did at E3. I didn't play it uh, since it's come out, but that was the that was the mode they let us play uh, on the Microsoft stage. And uh, it was I was playing with a couple of people that just didn't know how to play video games, so that didn't that didn't <laughs> that, that didn't help. Ruined the experience for yeah, you. I mean I got to see the game and it, and it looked cool and you know it felt like Gears, but uh, and, and they and English wasn't their first language, so they're communi- yeah. communicating to each other in another language, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> Guess I'm on my You're own here. Running off on your own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought because I when we were playing, uh, we played with some like random person online too, and he was just kind of running off, and he's like trying to fight like everything, and I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Of like, we have no ant, like you're not supposed to. Do- we have a time limit. We're just A to B. I'm like pistol whip something and keep yep. running. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. And then like he kept getting down, and then after trying to pick him up for like the second time. I was like, all right. I'm like, fuck it. And I was like, we're just running to the exit. Forget him. I'm like, we're going to close the thing. I was like, I'm not going to die trying to save you because you're trying to be a hero over here. Like, Right. But yeah, I liked it. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I just thought it was like, because like a horde mode, you know, it's like, yeah, you're still fighting stuff. Like it was like different than just, you're not supposed to shoot stuff basically in this version. Yeah. It's like, the complete opposite of everything that is gears is it's like chainsaw stuff, shoot stuff. And it's like, now it's like avoid combat. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I remember when I played it that first time, I was the only one to actually escape because there was like a door that closed or something. And I was the only one that was actually out on the helipad or whatever. And I was like, sorry guys. <laughs> you snooze, you lose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, besides, Oh, I was going to say, besides that, I've been playing uh, Link's Awakening. Ooh, I finished that one as well. That was so good. i got to write my review for that one, by the way. It's a little old now. I, but. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm almost, yeah, I'm like kind of behind. I'm like just now like playing all this stuff, <laughs> like trying mm-hmm. to, uh, but I think, I think I have one more instrument to get before I can go. I think I have like one dungeon left that, yeah, that I have to do. That second to last dungeon is probably the hardest one in the whole game. I got I got so turned around in that one. It took me forever to remember how to do it. The thing yeah, I love about I that to... game is they didn't change it up. Like all the puzzles and everything is exactly the same, which I know some people complain about, but it worked so well because the things that they did change about that game were the mechanics and how you are able to equip things without having to go to the menu quite as often because you know the original game boy only had b and a so you literally had to equip your sword and shield if you wanted to use them which was maddening but uh so here you actually have a dedicated uh, sword button dedicated shield button and a dedicated um boots button whatever those boots are called that make you run the pegasus boots the pegasus boots which just made it a fantastic experience and I have to go back and forth quite as often, which oh, I absolutely loved it. And it looks so good. I know. I like, too, that you can still uh, steal items from the item shop. 
I never do it. I can't, I'm, I'm that guy. It? I never do Are that. You? I'm that guy that even in RPGs like Fable or Fallout, I never steal stuff that that's not mine. I just can't do it. <laughs> did you wait? Did you ever steal anything? Did you ever oh, yeah. do it at least once? Yeah, when I was a kid, because like a, I didn't know. I think actually one time I did it accidentally, and he like he like electrocutes you with a lightning yeah, bolt or something. Yeah, he, like, he like Kamehameha waves you, and then, and then like because I remember doing it in the original because I'm like, dude, I'm not paying 700 rupees for like this fucking bow and arrow, and then you just steal it, and then you come back in, and then you just, like, Kamehameha waves you to death, but then you still wake up with it, so you're like, oh, cool, but then I, because when I tried it in this one, I didn't see it, but I remember in the original, um, when you did it, the girl protagonist, like, whenever you talk to her, instead of whatever name you put for your file, she calls you Thief. Yeah, Marin. Yeah, Marin. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and I and I forgot how sad that story is. Like, because I, I don't know if you consider it a spoiler. I won't. I won't if you. <laughs> I can't remember. No, if you I was like, yeah, I was like, this. I yeah, I've played it multiple times on yeah. Game Boy. So <laughs> yeah, but like, just how I, 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 it didn't affect me when I was a kid, and and I've played it through several times when I was younger. But the thought of like, this is the closest we've ever had Link in getting close to a relationship with somebody and it wound up just not even being real and this is somebody that cared about him and was obviously interested in him and and it was she didn't exist and it was well yeah it's even it's even sadder in like the switch one because now they have like the nice like pretty cut scenes and stuff with them on the beach talking yeah really build it up (laughs) yeah just it was very tragic i mean i know it's the legend of zelda series and zelda is never seen in this game uh in and, and, and a lot of people confuse <laughs> which character is Zelda and which one's Link that don't that don't play the series a lot but um yeah this was damn near a love interest I mean she rescued him on the beach and she was obviously you know flirting with him and and had feelings for him and then the thought when when the windfish wakes and is hovering over the island as it starts to disappear and you're just like he's never gonna see her again and it's this <laughs> sad mournful yet happy music playing it was just i was like how did i how did this not mess me up when i was a kid because that's like super sad i love it it's just because as a kid you're like credits next game and just pop it out <laughs> yeah pretty much thank god i finished that dungeon because that uh, man we, that was back before we had the internet and we could look stuff up you had to just power your way through it remember that yeah dude i was like i had to uh I had to look up a walkthrough for the second to last dungeon because I got, like, confused. I'm like, okay, I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to be doing? And it's like I, like, went through pretty much the majority of, like, the one side dungeon without the eye. And I was like, oh, I need to go do this and then get the the power glove stuff to go. And I'm like, damn it. I'm like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of Zelda... I did play a game that that kind of resembles Zelda, like the 3D Zeldas. It's called uh, A Knight's Quest. Have you seen this one yet? The names, again, the names sound so familiar. Oh, man. Uh, if you watch the trailer for this one, it looks like a game that wants to be Zelda so bad. It's uh, even more bright and colorful than Zelda. The character is a, a red-haired kid named Rusty. Um, it's got like this tongue-in-cheek humor where it almost feels like it's a fantasy world, but it but they but they speak like they're in the '80s, um, and it starts out great. The first hour or two 
it's just like, hell yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And then it just turns into a bit of a frustrating mess for me because the game does not respect your time whatsoever. It, uh, there, are, there are warp points in this game that you cannot use until the final third of the game, which is just maddening to me that they're going to make you traipse across this world three different times when I could have easily fast-traveled, but you decided to pad your game by not allowing me to fast-travel till I get this item that lets me do it after I've been through two-thirds of the game just made me very angry. But Yeah, it's so. just bad design. <laughs> yeah, and I... I and it's too bad because they really had some clever ideas. You know, there's uh, elemental stuff going on with some of the some of the combat, which, in, in my opinion, the combat's pretty weak. But let's be honest, the combat in uh, in Zelda was never, you know, it's strong suit. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know? it's not like the most intense. Like you just smash the button, hit the enemy. Yeah. Call it uh, this a day. one this one does something a little bit further, where where some of the enemies will have a elemental shield around it, and you have to use a magical ability that matches the color of their shield in order to break the shield, and then you attack them. But unfortunately, the combat never really pushes past button mashy, and it feels very melee heavy. Yeah, when I looked up a picture of it, the (laughs) art style really reminded me of, uh, um, what was that game, Dungeon Defenders? I have not played that one, but I recognize the name. Yeah, it has that like 3D kind of like, cartoony bright colors kind of like yeah. weird slightly like extorted proportions mhm yeah and there's like a there's like a rail grinding bit on this there's a weapon or not a weapon but an item you get that allows you to grind on these rails that allow you to access certain areas and it <laughs> sonic it feel, the hedgehog <laughs> yeah it, it it really does it, it feels like it borrowed a lot of features or or ideas from several different games and packed them into a game that wished it were zelda so I recommend the first two or three hours, and then after that, be prepared for frustration because it, it just does not have that Nintendo uh, polish that, that we're so accustomed to with Zelda games. Yeah, I was trying to think if I've played <coughs> anything else recently. Well, tell me about Negative Space, man. I haven't talked to you since then. How's that game coming, coming around? Uh, it's coming along good. Uh, I went to before I went to Portland. I went to you had. I know you had Brandon on yeah. your uh, the Patreon episode and stuff where he came on, and that was he, his first. Oh wait, go ahead. <laughs> well, he he actually was on our regular episode last night as well, which uh, is publishing tonight. So okay, because yeah, I wanted. I was. I was like, I wanted to listen to it, and then I saw the post today about the Patreon one, and so that's cool. I'm definitely gonna listen to that. Yeah, but um, but yeah, we went to Indiecade and I showed my like newest demo and stuff that I had for Negative Space, and it got a lot of positive feedback. Cool and stuff, which was nice. It's been, which kind of sucks because it's like after after going and stuff, it's like you know, it's like and people playing and getting a lot of positive feedback. I'm like, I'm like, made, you know, made me like want to just work on it like more. Like I'm like, oh man, I'm like, yes, I want to get back to it, make more levels, and then it was like. I had to leave for Portland pretty much like immediately. And then, how, how so, long is the demo? Um, it's the first three worlds, so mm-hmm. it's twenty-seven levels. Okay. Altogether, so I thought that was like a pretty solid. Uh, only a couple people, I think. Only 
I think only one person made it all the way through the demo and okay. it took them it took them about a little over two hours oh wow okay yeah no he was sitting there for like two hours playing some people got close and yeah it took them about the same about like an hour and like hour and a half hour 40 okay and stuff I have the link you've given me. I and I apologize I haven't played it yet. Like I said I've just been overwhelmed with so many things to get caught up on. But uh I'll see if I can't get it running. I don't PC game a lot, but I should be able to use a wired Xbox controller on my PC, I assume, right? Cuz I'm not playing with a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, game. yeah. Wired Xbox controller. I know uh Xbox 1 like if it has like Bluetooth whatever, Xbox 1 controller mm-hmm. works too. Okay. But I, when I test and stuff, I usually use a corded 360 controller. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a lot easier to do that on a PC than a Mac, which I have I have a Mac book, but uh, you know my my recording PC is a is a Windows PC, so I should be able to get it running. But I will, I mean, would a, would a like a written preview kind of thing help you out? Like if I put something together? Yeah, I mean, dude, the more the merrier, man. Like I'm right. down for that. I was like, I can even see because I still need to post, uh, like the build that I actually showed. It, like the one I currently have up is still like an older build. It's not like ridiculously different or anything. A couple of levels I made easier <laughs> than like what's currently like up on my okay. different site and stuff. But I can give you the one that has like the the new new versions of some stuff to make it cool a little less rage inducing for you <laughs> nice nice i i like the hard games though when it comes to platformers I, I i don't know how difficult this is compared to games like celeste but i adored that game and that was tough as nails towards the end so is it that hard um so <laughs> i do get a lot of comparisons to celeste and super meat boy and stuff mm-hmm. which i like i mean that's like my target demographic is people that play those so i'm not sad about that um but yeah i've been told that some levels are like celeste b-sides hard Mm, that's real Uh, hard (laughs) yeah like but i mean it's like i've played celeste b-sides and i'm like no i'm like dude that shit's harder than this but Mm. (laughs) but i see where they're they're coming from but Mm -hmm. it's but it's been going good. Um, I'm hoping to be done by like begin. I'm well. I'm hoping to release like beginning of next year sometime by like May, because nice. really at this point, like programming and stuff is pretty much all done. Like all the different mechanics that I'll ever have are all like in the game. It's just at this point, it's just building levels and testing gotcha. and tweaking and stuff, and nice. then music. My guy who does the music and stuff, he's been working on it. So it's just him. Because the way the music works in the game is for... There's like seven normal levels, and then there's two bonus levels. One that unlocks when you get the diamond in the previous seven levels, and then a ninth secret level that's hidden somewhere, kind of like the warp zones in Super Meat Boy. That's kind of I was going like, to say, I can't imagine why people compare this to Super Meat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, so the way music works is like in level one, it's just kind of like this bass sort of melody, and then 
you go in the next level and it's like more kind of instruments and melodies and stuff kind of come into it and song kind of increases so then by the time you get to the seventh level it's like the full version of the song playing so it's like oh, super that's really clever epic and stuff so yeah so the music's been kind of challenging in a sense that it's like all right this one song actually needs to be seven songs that all loop individually but then sound good all together is like one track that's cool it's almost like got a um amplitude bit to it where you're kind of piecing the tracks together to make one one track yeah this is kind of like evolving kind of like i guess i haven't played tetris effect but i think it's kind of like where the music kind of plays with like the level and stuff i guess as you're playing man you got to play that game especially in vr with a good set of headphones it is a magical experience man you gotta you gotta play that it's really good like the three like three games I still like need to play in VR that I really want to are Tetris Effect, Super Hot, and Beat Saber. Beat Saber is good. Also, Astrobot Rescue Mission is definitely worth playing too. I've heard that's really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that's like a great platformer. I was like really uh, excited that it got as good of reviews and stuff as it did for being like a new IP platformer on the PlayStation. One of the uh, my podcasting idol, the guy that that uh, is the reason that I ever started podcasting. His name is Jeff Kanata. He said on his podcast DLC that if this game were Mario themed, if they swapped out the main character with Mario and then had you rescuing little toads or something like that, that this game would have been massive and would have been huge if Nintendo had like a VR platform. And he's not wrong. The only reason that this game didn't do any better than it did is because it was only on a VR platform. And it was a new IP that people don't recognize these characters. It 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 was so good, man. Just just incredible to play. Do you think? Do you think it would work? Like, if they made a version that wasn't VR, like, would it work still? It would work, but you wouldn't have the same experience because the the being in that world was really a big part of it. Being able to look. You know, you, you would have to look up at, over here and see your character and help him get along this girder over here and then jump over there and jump through the wall and, and then look down into a pit. You know, you, you wouldn't, it, w- it would be a little bit too cumbersome to move the camera that much with, the, with an analog joystick. Dude, uh, that's like when I was at Indiecade, there was this VR game that I played. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's like, I think it's called The Under Presents. Yes, actually, Brandon was talking about that last night. Yeah, dude, it was so trippy. Where you like, <laughs> you like, where you like, grab the environment and pull yourself through the environment or something? I think. Yeah, it reminded yeah. me of like a Dishonored, where you have kind of like the blink ability, where you're like, mm-hmm. poof, like to the, it was like doing that, but like with your actual hands. It's like you have a rope and you're like dragging yourself. Yeah. Like a mime you're, or something. Like you're pantomiming your way through. Yeah. Basically, but like there was a couple times where because you have this like mask on your face and it messes with time and stuff like that and there's like a couple points in the game where it's like you have to like you can take your mask off and like put a piece of like the world or something on the mask and then by spinning it it like rewinds time around you and like oh wow like there was like a part where it was like a ship and the staircase was all like dilapidated and like shit was all over the staircase so you couldn't didn't work anymore the ship's like destroyed but it's like you would grab a piece of it and then like spin it around and then all of a sudden like all the pieces off the floor 
go back and it's like the staircase now you can go up it and stuff so there was a couple times because i'm not used to playing vr where because it had the little hand controllers and it had the headset and it was one of the wireless headsets too which was nice because you weren't the, it wasn't the, heavy you weren't corded yeah the quest Oculus yeah quest yeah there was a couple times though where you, i went to take the mask off my face and i like clicked my face with the controller because i didn't realize how close my hand was to my face that's hilarious so i was like boom and i'm like oh shit i'm like sorry sorry but <laughs> but no yeah that was like a real trip that was like one of the first i guess kind of like really immersive like vr games because there was a couple where it's like i played where it was like you were like a bird flying and stuff like that and it was cool but it was like this was like the first one like actually walking around like in a world and it's like in a world in a world where you walk around <laughs> but it was like even though stuff didn't like make sense like if they made it really real of course you'd be like yeah this isn't real but because it's this weird like fever dream kind of world all the like weird stuff kind of like made sense in the environment you were in and stuff so that was really cool yeah that's awesome Another one that I recommend on VR, at least on PlayStation VR, is Moss, which was a gorgeous little VR game. It'll take you about two, three hours to play through. It's a little platformer, but it is gorgeous. It just, it just gave me hope for the future of VR playing that one. Is that is that the one? Do, do you play as a rat? A little mouse. Yeah. A little mouse. Okay. Yeah, but there, there's right. moments in the game where the mouse, because you play as. Not a god, but like a godlike creature that is watching over this world, and then you're controlling the mouse through the environment. And there's times where I just wanted to get a closer look at the mouse, so I would actually bend down and put my face down as close as I can to him. And when I did that, he would look up and then wave at me. It was like, <laughs> ah, that's really awesome. Dude, that sounds bonkers. It, oh, it is. It's, it was the, at the time, it was the best looking VR game I had played. Now, granted, I hadn't played Oculus. Up to that point, which is a you know much better quality headset, but uh, it was it was shockingly good at how how well it looked. Dude, that's awesome! Mm -hmm. I was like, have uh, is there like any movies that you've watched recently? Man, I have not been to the theater as much as I would like to. I uh, <laughs> I'm I'm one of those. We have AMC here. And I've got mm -hmm. the A-list subscription where you pay like the whatever a month and then you get un unlimited movies. Uh, I've used it once in the past four or five months probably, and that was to go see Joker, which uh, was the best movie I've seen in a long time that I never need to see again. Yeah. That makes sense. It was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was not a bright and cheerful movie. It was very, very grim um, and, and off-putting and... and I haven't felt that affected walking out of a theater in a long time, which, and I mean that in a good way. I just don't have a need to see it again. Um, but Joaquin Phoenix's performance is just incredible, just absolutely incredible. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, yeah. I went and saw it, and yeah, I thought it was really good too. It was funny because it was just like it's you know it's kind of like slow at first, mm -hmm. and then it's like when. I mean, it's not really, like, I mean, spoilers, like, where, but, like, when he goes to, like, his girlfriend's apartment the first time, that's, mm -hmm. like, when all of a sudden, like, everything starts, like, picking up, like, really fast. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind the, the speed of the movie or the pacing. 
That was a lot of complaints I had, and I was just into it. I, I could not take my eyes off of him. I love that they actually gave a reason for the laughter. Yeah. I thought that was ingenious. I don't know if that I don't know enough about the comics to know if that's actually part of the lore, but I thought that was great. And, so, and just watching him uncontrollably laugh and not wanting to be was just was he acted so well at that. Ugh. Yeah, cuz in the comics there isn't really like I I guess they just kind of pin it on like chemicals. And stuff mm-hmm. when he like falls in the batch again, which just drives him crazy, or whatever. But I mean, that's what I thought they kind of nailed, though. Too was because in the comics, the whole like st- comic storyline, whatever of the origin of the Joker and stuff. The whole thing is they go through, and it's like, yeah, he was the Red Hood, and then did this shit, and he had a family, and they died, and kind of started to lose it, and then he got in the fight with Batman and fell into the vat, whatever. But then at the end of the story you find out that Joker's the narrator. And then hmm. so you then once you find out he's the narrator, it's like, okay, well, how much of that was actually true? Because right. he's crazy. And it's like, that's what I felt that they nailed with this was it was like, okay, well, how much of this actually happened? <laughs> like they left the, it's like some of it's like believable. And then some of it, you're kind of like, well, I don't think so. And then it's like they'll have a detail in there where it's like, okay, well, maybe. So it kind of leaves you guessing. You're like, all right, like how did this actually play out? Mm-hmm. I actually like that. And I'm the, and that's coming from a guy that really doesn't like ambiguous endings, which I feel like this one really did have for that reason and another reason. And <laughs> I still loved it. I, I really enjoyed it a great deal. It was a great movie. It's just not one that I'm like, oh, man, when that comes to disc, I can't wait to see it again. I, I, I don't need to. I don't really have a desire to. And I, and, and I can't say it's because of its, its, uh, its tone. It was definitely a darker tone, and it wasn't a feel-good movie by any means. And I'm not off-put by stuff like that because I watch a lot of stuff that drives my wife crazy. She hates it when I watch movies where I feel sorry for the, for the main character, and that's what this whole movie was. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I re- I really dug it. I know. I was like, I'm trying to think <clears> what <throat> else I saw. I know tomorrow night they're showing um, Spirited Away at AMC there because every month they've had a different Miyazaki movie Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm excited to go see. It's been a while since I've – I don't think I've seen Spirited Away since I was in, like, high school. So <laughs> – I've actually never seen the thing all the way through. I was gifted a DVD copy of it by a friend, and I watched half of it, and I never finished it. Not because I wasn't into it. Um, I think I'm I'm easily distracted nowadays with movies, especially with movies with subtitles. You know, when I'm watching a movie, I can listen to. I can actually type on my on my laptop, or I can do something on my phone and get something done while I'm watching a movie. And I can't do that with a subtitled movie, and I refuse to listen to it dubbed in English just because I don't like it. I I just, I like the Japanese sound better. So I need to go back and watch that because everyone just raves about that one. Yeah. I mean, I too am a uh, subs over dubs kind of guy myself. So mm-hmm. even when I played Bloodstained, I switched it to Japanese audio with English. Yeah. I was the same way with Lost Odyssey on Xbox 360. I don't know if you ever played that game. I refused to play that in English because the Japanese voice actors just sounded so much more authentic to me. I know that's why I was so upset in Fire Emblem that there wasn't an option for 
Japanese. I did not play Fire Emblem. I've never played a Fire Emblem game. That's one of the voids in my life. Yeah. That's surprising. The, the look <laughs> the look on your face right now is I know, it's cuz it's so good. Like Fire Emblem's <laughs> like was like one of the like my top like Game Boy Advance like Game Boy Advance for me it was like Fire Emblem, Advanced Wars, Castlevania. Right. See, I never Both got died. into those uh, the strategy games like Final Fantasy Tactics. I could never get into when I was younger. I just the, uh, Advanced Wars was better, but uh, you know, the, the the tactical games like that just never clicked for me. Uh, like like they did for my friend Mike, who just loves loves those games. I just I just can't get into them. Well, see, and that's like what's weird. Like for me, like. Like, I mean, I played, like, StarCraft and stuff to, like, a point and stuff, but it's, like, I never got into, like, Command and Conquer. And even, like you said, like, Final Fantasy, like, a lot of turn-taking games, I was just never really into besides, like, Pokemon at the time until, like, Final Fantasy, like, Advanced Tactics and then Advanced... And then, like, when I played, I was like, oh, I'm like, I like this. I'm like, this is fun. And then I started, like, from there, kind of went off with it, but... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, speaking of speaking of Japanese animation, I, I don't know how much you you get into this stuff on on this show, but uh, I don't watch a lot of anime, mm-hmm. a ton of it. But the the couple shows that I have watched, and the one that I recommend to anybody that ever like has even a slightest interest in Japanese animation is Death Note. Have you seen Death Note? I and my. Uh intrepid that i used to have i had a little l who was like crouched with his thumb in his mouth hanging from the the mirror in my car oh man to me that show is a gateway drug for anime because it's not out there like a dragon ball or something like that or where or, or bleach which i like bleach but you know it's it's not just so crazy and 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 slapsticky silly you know outside of ryuk Who's like a Shinigami that uh, that's just kind of in the background for for a lot of the episodes. Uh, there's not a ton of just weird, wacky stuff going on. That it feels like a thriller throughout most of it until like maybe that final arc. It gets a little goofy with that girl character that gets introduced. But that's the one that people are. If ever people are like, man, I'd like to get it. I'd like to give anime a shot, but I'm just kind of afraid of it. Like just just watch Death Note. If you can look past the the. Uh, Japanese Grim Reaper that kind of hangs over Light's shoulder throughout the entire thing. It's it's, it's worth a watch because man, that first moment that L turns and says, "I am L," I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, nobody does that in TV shows like that early on in the series. I was like not expecting it. It was it was so good. I know, and then like I was like, I guess spoilers. I mean, it's like like a twelve year old anime, but I yeah. was like, when he like actually kills L, I'm like. What? Like, you just kill off like one of the main characters like that? And yeah, one like, of the coolest wins. characters. Like, yeah, I know. I was so upset when that happened. Oh, he was such an awesome character, but just just the way that he explained things, like even like how he had that like trap door in his drawer to to hide stuff from his dad, who you found out was the police chief the whole time. Like, just the the way that you hit his heard his inner monologue. Was just fascinating. He was a brilliant kid. And he's like and eating the chips with like the little mini TV in the bag and stuff. So it's like they yep. know he knows he's being watched. So then that way he can still 
sprite in the Death Note and stuff without them realizing that he's like watching the news. <laughs> yep. Ah, oh, just, just crazy. Felt very, felt very. I, I'm not gonna say ahead of its time, but it was a fresh idea. I feel like we don't get original ideas anymore, and and that was that was solid. It was like for what else was like out at the time and stuff. It was just different than like your typical like Shonen Jump kind of action based anime and stuff. It had a lot more thought. And you're right, like there was no filler at all in that. It's like every episode had a purpose. And then sometimes it takes four or five years, don't understand what's going on. And then it's like that fifth episode, they go all the way back and explain the reasoning behind everything. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Not to mention that was the uh, the show that introduced me to the band Maxim the Hormone, which yes. is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, they were they were the intro and the outro for the second arc of that show, and to this day I still I imported those albums like right away, and they're just fantastic. It's if you like if you like metal, um, yeah. I, I'm just praying sometime they come to the states because I I need to see them live. I really do. Yeah, I was like, them and the band Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas do, like, the two, like, best anime, like, openings for shows. I'm not even familiar with that band. What what uh, opening do they uh, do? They do, they've done a couple different animes. They've done, uh, like, Parasite, which is a really good one that's, like, action bits about, like, uh, the whole premise is, like, aliens kind of, like, come to Earth, mm-hmm. and they... Uh, end up like using humans as hosts and the one main protagonist dude the alien they are he's like trying to aim for the dude's head but he misses and goes into his hand and so like his hand like has like the eyeball and like a mouth and stuff and it talks to him but it like his hand like morphs into this like blade thing but most of most of the other aliens landed in people's heads though but they like split into like monster things and so he's like going around like killing the other parasites and stuff because he's like one of the few people where like the parasites not controlling him he can control like work with the parasite so they're like teaming up to like kill all the other parasites so not an anime to introduce people to if it's their first anime (laughs) no i was like death note for like first before we even like switch off death note have you seen the live action japanese movies I saw the live action one that was on Netflix. I think that was a, that was the American the version. Trash right? one, yeah. <laughs> the the Japanese one was a two parter, right? I... Uh, so, so the Japanese one's actually three parts. Oh, okay. And it's crazy because like the whole first movie, I mean, it pretty much it pretty much follows the whole first movie. Pretty much follows pretty close to the anime where it ends with L and Light meeting like teaming up at the end Mm -hmm. of the movie and that's where the first one ends and then the second one picks up with introducing you to misa and stuff the girl and but then after that it like completely like deviates from the anime and in a good way like do you like the direction it went or like it was just interesting it was like cool to see a different outcome because what ends up happening is they still kill L, like L still dies, and then like him and Misa like won and stuff, and then they were gonna like go. They're like, we killed L, like I get to be Kira, everything's awesome, and then L ends up like walking downstairs, and like it's revealed that he's still alive, 
and like the police have like surrounded Light's house and stuff. And then it explains that like basically L knew that he was going to be targeted by Kira and that Light was Kira and stuff and was going to betray him. So L wrote his own name in the Death Note. Mm-hmm. And so if your name's already in the Death Note, it can't be written twice. So L previously wrote his own name and then faked his death when Light wrote his name. Oh, that's clever. I did like this that. whole thing. And so L put that like in like 30 days or whatever, he would die peacefully of a heart attack or whatever, like in his own bed. And then so there's a whole, so then Light gets arrested and everything. And then the whole third movie is about L living out his last 30 days on earth. And then like at the end is when like N is going to like replace him. And that's how it ends. So I thought it was cool getting to see like a different outcome of like, okay, well, what if L1 instead? Yeah, to be honest, I wasn't a super big fan of the way that story wrapped up, even though it was only like, what, 37 episodes or something like that. I felt like the end, like with him going crazy and and just getting almost like drunk with power, I, I, I liked it when he was this classy, brilliant villain that you were cheering for instead of... Uh, I'm not going to say mustache twirling, but he was, uh, it, it was, it definitely went off the deep end a little bit. <laughs> uh, I was like, one of the other ones that I always kind of recommend to people too is Full Metal Alchemist. I started that one. That's the one where the one dude's little brother turned into the big robot, right? Uh, it's a suit, but they try to like bring their mom back from the dead using alchemy and they mess up. And then the one little brother ends up like losing his entire body and dies. And then the other brother loses his leg. So then he sacrifices his arm to bring his brother's soul back and he attaches it into a suit of armor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, then, I've heard good things. I just never got into it. The thing with, with a lot of those Japanese animation shows is you really got to commit. Like, uh, I was into Bleach for a while, and I got to about episode 300, and I'm like, I just can't watch these episodes anymore. I, you know, I want I want a finality to it. And especially because Bleach wasn't caught up with the manga, so they were constantly filling episodes with, like, these stupid ones about the teddy bear. I just I just hated it so much. So I, so I gave yeah. up on that show. Yeah, Naruto had like a lot of the same. Like again, that's like falls under like the Shonen Jump. Shonen Jump has like a tendency to, all right, well the anime is now caught up to where we are in the manga, so we're gonna do this long ass filler arc that nobody cares about to buy us enough time for the manga to get ahead again, so that we can like start doing more episodes. But that's what's yeah. nice about Full Metal Alchemist is it's another one where there isn't. There's maybe like two maybe three episodes that are just like one off kind of like doesn't pertain to anything kind of like just an episode but Uh it's only 50 the first series is only 51 episodes so it's not super duper long and then brotherhood is like i want to say like a hundred and like 20 episodes but it actually but it actually true but it ends (laughs) like it actually ends and again it doesn't have a lot of like filler or anything it's just a longer anime sure i did uh they had a sale on itunes recently and it was 
the entire series of Cowboy Bebop, which I had never seen. It was on sale for five bucks. And I'm like, I hear, I recognize that name, and people talk about that one all the time. So I'm going to check it out, or I'm going to pick it up and watch it at some point. And I still have yet to do that. <laughs> so It is good. It's like, yeah, it's like one of those kind of, like, the classic kind of, like, Adult Swim era where they actually, like, showed anime mm-hmm. at night and stuff. It's one of those where it's, like, Samurai Champloo, Cowboy Bebop, like, Big O, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I'm just looking it up right now. I have it on iTunes, but the that is not one that talks to my movies anywhere account. So that sucks. <laughs> I, I don't have a uh, an, an Apple TV anymore because I, I love Apple, but their stuff is expensive. <laughs> Dude, so, it's getting more expensive. I saw they announced those uh, the new the, AirPods. Yeah, like two hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> There's no way in hell I was gonna. Sp- there's no way in hell I was going to spend 150 bucks on a pair of AirPods, much less $250. And you know what's sad is they're going to they're going to go like hotcakes just because man, I love I love my Apple products, but there are some there are some Apple sheep that I just don't understand. <laughs> Dude, well that's like I remember watching it was like one of like funny clips on like YouTube at the time when they did the they announced that one. It was just that metal thing for like hanging the tower but it was like i don't remember how much it was it was like eight hundred dollars it was just a metal fucking rack for hanging your mac thing on (laughs) and like the audience like when they announced it and like revealed the price there was like three people clapping and they were kind of just like what like i'm like it's a metal thing that just hangs a bracket basically yeah yeah and they want you to pay out the ass for that i'm like why yeah I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, what else is going to tell you with the anime? Oh, I am still in the middle of watching. I haven't. I have to go get back into it. I fell off the wagon. Um, but my friend convinced me to try Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I have never seen, and that's a that's a weird show. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've seen episodes same with like that and like ghost in the shell and stuff mm-hmm. it's like i've seen a handful of episodes here and there of it but i've never like watched it consecutively like from the beginning to like really get like a good grasp on it yeah well it, this one feels very creature of the week but it's still really interesting there are some cool moments but i've been told that i need to see it through because the ending of that series or like the final arc or final chapter or whatever is just batshit crazy and I don't know why I don't know where but it, but my buddy is just like you need to see it it goes places that you're not going to expect whatsoever but it's like man it's like something like 27 episodes and I'm just like alright let's go I want to see what's so cool about this but I'll get there I was like there's this one anime it's on Netflix that I watched not that long ago but it's called Baki and okay. it's like, it's like over the top, like ridiculously, like like everyone in there. It's like you think the people in like Dragon Ball Z are like buff or whatever. Everyone in that show is like ten times as jacked as that. <laughs> and the whole premise is that there was some underground fighting tournament, like to the death, whatever, in Japan. And this you're not supposed like, to talk about it, man. Yeah, yeah, no, 
mum's the word. <laughs> but uh, uh, this like seventeen-year-old kid, Baki, is the one who like wins it. And so because of that, like all these different, there's like I think like six, it's like six or seven of them, different prisoners from like around the world, all with like life sentences and were sentenced to death. Like one of them comes from Russia. One comes from, like, America. Like, they come from, like, all over. And they all come to Japan because they want to, like, taste defeat or whatever. So then it's, like, Baki and, like, his friends versus, like, these, like, six or seven death row inmates. And they just, like, randomly will, like, run into each other on the street and just start, like, beating the ever-loving shit out of each other. And it's so over the top because, like, the one to, like, punch someone in the face and, like, 32 of their teeth will, like, fly out of their mouth. But then it's, like, they still have, like, all their teeth in their mouth. <laughs> and, like, like, shot with guns and stuff. And it's, like, it just doesn't phase them at all. Like, the bullets just don't even, like, go through them. And they're just, like, bare knuckle, just, like, beating the crap out of each other, like, on roller coasters and stuff. Like, <laughs> it's, like, so uh, over the top. That's pretty funny. Crazy. Oh, boy, I don't have any more anime. Oh, I guess I could talk about, uh, what's the other anime, with the uh, the giant naked creatures that crash through the city. Oh, Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan, thank you. I watched the first season of that, and then I watched the first episode of the second season, and they had a giant talking gorilla, and I never went back for some reason. I don't know. I just was like, ah. Dude. I don't know. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll tell you right. So, yeah, the talking gorilla is the beast titan uh-huh. and stuff, and, like, I get that's probably that probably is weird coming from, but in season two, you like besides that first episode, I think you might see him like again towards the end of the episode, like end okay. of the season, but you don't really like see or hear from him like again until he plays a bigger role in the third season. I but, need to go back. I think I I have to go back and rewatch the first season again because it's been a couple years, if not more. And I don't remember even the names of the characters, but and I did like it. I thought that was some of the best animation I had seen in an anime. Like uh, it was just very quick paced, and I, I liked that a lot. Well, dude, that's like because season one was really good, and then two was okay, but it was like it had been so long between season one and season two. It was like three years or something yeah. like that. That yeah. like the hype for it like just wasn't really there anymore. And the season itself was, like, it was decent. It's just, like, you know, one of those things where, you're like, oh, it's finally back. Like, you're just so excited. And then it was never going to live up to, like, whatever you thought it was going to be because it had just been so long. But then season three, season three is the shit. Like, the animation is... I didn't even know that season three was out. Yeah, it just uh, ended. Next season is going to be the final season of it. Oh. But yeah, no, season three was like over the top, like the animation was on point, like super good. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to go go back. I got to finish uh, Genesis or uh, Evangelion first. Yeah, but yeah. Have you, well, have you seen, I was like One Punch Man? No, I mean, I think that's about the extent of my anime knowledge, man. I think I've, oh. I've exhausted everything I've ever watched. <laughs> everything, like, got it all. Like, count it on one hand right here. Yeah. Well, there's, like, there's so much weird stuff out there. It's it's you know I've I've been I've been picking and choosing based on based on recommendations and and uh, it's it's kind of like HBO series for me. Like I've I've never seen an HBO series that I didn't absolutely adore, 
And part of the reason is, is because I don't watch every HBO series that, that comes out there. You know, I've uh, Game of Thrones. Um, what's the what's the newsroom? I adored that show. Um, Sharp Objects is fantastic if you haven't seen that. So I have like this perfect record of HBO shows. And like I don't want to break that, so I'm picky about the HBO shows that I start. So I, you know what? I take it back. I haven't finished Chernobyl, so I guess the streak is is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was like, I heard because I think the Watchmen show is HBO, and I've heard yep. that's really good so far. But that's one of those two where it's like I'm like I kind of just want to wait for it to be over before I watch it because it's one of those where I feel like. I don't want to wait every single week to see what's going to happen next. See, I'm not a massive Watchmen fan. I, I watched the movie and I thought it was okay, but, I, but I've never read the the graphic novel, so I I didn't have any connection to it. And the movie, I felt like if you didn't know anything about the graphic novel, was just like, what the hell is going on in this? Why is there a giant blue dong on the on the screen right now? Um, like just randomly, you know. Um, there was no context for any of it, so. I think that was a turnoff for me when the movie came out, and even though now I'm a little bit more comfortable with the characters, I just don't care as much. But I'm also kind of, I'm I'm mildly interested to see what it's all about. Well, see, that's what's crazy to me. So, like for me, like Watchmen is like one of the most, if not the most, like accurate movie that portrays from like the graphic novel it's based off of. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much everything that happens in the movie is exactly what happens in the comic minus like the ending like the ending result is still the same they just changed what happened there yeah like um because like what's his name adrian the because like if you remember because at the end they made it look like a giant blast from like doc they made it look like dr manhattan was the one that caused this giant accident but it was the one dude that created the machine that like kind of replicated his power to then bring like all the nations together to like end all war and basically create universal peace amongst all the countries and that's basically what happens in the comic too except instead of a machine that does it the dude instead creates it's like this like giant almost like weird blue alien octopus thing that he yeah. like blows up and it's like I said, it's the same effect it's just in the movie a machine thing seems a lot more realistic I guess than this like giant creature thing that does it yeah I I, <laughs> I got a lost interest in just a big blue octopus thing I just <laughs> oh man but yeah. but yeah, it looks it looks interesting, but I I also don't think it involves like I think it's just set in the world of the Watchmen. I don't think it has anything to do with any of the actual char- like characters from the movie or anything like that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it just like it's kind of like the aftermath of that and it's like everything else that's like going on in the world. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like a Star Trek syndrome, like they're you know it's a reflection of society type of thing. Yeah, I was like, oh man, did you ever, did you ever watch um, the new like Twilight Zone? 
No, I heard it was really good though. CB from our show just absolutely adored that, and I've I I've not seen it just because I don't have I don't even remember what channel that's on or what what platform it's, a, it's on. CBS Direct Access, yeah, or what's, shitty app or whatever that you have to. And I don't have that. Yeah, I pretty much did it just to watch the Twilight Zone. Is it worth it? <laughs> like I don't. I'm a huge fan of the old Twilight Zone, and like, there's some episodes that I do think are really good, but to me, it's like some of them, because the whole point, I guess, of like kind of like the orig- most of the original like old school Twilight Zone, it's like there's a twist at the end, like uh-huh. there's like a big, and with like some of the newer ones, it's like don't there isn't necessarily like a twist at the end or like whatever the supposed like twist was or whatever like to me it like just wasn't that good of like a twist i guess that's a bummer like, because that's one of the things i loved about the original twilight zone was that there was almost like a i mean there was always a theme but sometimes there was almost like a moral or a message that they were trying to get across and I, I feel like we just don't even get that in television shows or anything today. We were talking about this back when I was on The Hollywood Outsider, when that uh, documentary on Mr. Rogers came out. It's called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Have you seen that one yet? Mm-mm. Dude, it's on video now. Go watch it. <laughs> Bring a box of tissues because it is just what a beautiful person that guy was in, in terms of just ideal, nice person. And... And it made me the thing that like got me most emotional about watching that documentary is just knowing that a guy like that will never ever work on television again, because television is no longer re- remotely about education. There's nothing educational on TV anymore except for the baby channels that are like trying to teach them the alphabet or their one two threes and stuff like that. You know there. Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood were teaching life lessons to kids because they were enamored with the television and they listened. And and nowadays the, the kids' attention spans are are that of a fruit fly. They're just they're just not there. They're on to the next thing already. As soon as it gets mildly not interesting and turns into a message or a lesson, um, they're they're done. And I sound like the old guy, you know, get off my lawn right now. But but it's sad. Like that we that even with new media that we've got now, you know, television was was a brand new back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. And they were able to use that for educational purposes. But now you know, YouTube. It's out there. There's educational stuff out there, but they'd rather watch I can't remember his name. Jake Paul or whatever his name is. That <laughs> they'd rather hit, watch him Jake hit Paulers people. And watch Ninja. <laughs> they'd, they'd rather watch him go hit people in Japan with a fish. Like I just, you know, I'm so old, man. I just, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't help that I'm a a, a teacher, and like that's where my mind goes. Is what ways can we use technology to point kids in the right direction somehow? And I just feel like we're we're using all this technology for. Stuff that's not. And that's coming from a guy that also loves video games. So, you know, <laughs> the fact that YouTube is, is massive as it is just kind of boggles my mind. Dude, that's funny that you bring that up, though, because it's like uh, my fiance's little brother, Killian, he's like, 
I think he's like 10 now. Uh-huh. But but like, you know, and he's part of that generation that like grew up with basically YouTube as like entertainment like doesn't watch TV, but he like watches all these different YouTubers and watches let's plays and watches this and that. Yeah. And it's funny though because like when he'll come over and stuff or we'll go over and like talk anytime he's like talking to me about stuff like it's like stuff from YouTube but like it's just like ran the most random assortment of shit that he'll like picks picks up from YouTube like the one time we were in the car and he's sitting there talking to me about like raspberry pi and like uh-huh. about like oh he's like I can hook a 360 controller up to raspberry pi and like da da and it's like going into like all these like specs on like raspberry pi and i'm like what the hell are you like you're like eight what the hell are you even talking about like i have no idea and he's like yeah he's like this and then he's like talking because he like watches stuff on like youtube on like how to pick locks and like raspberry pi and like all this like weird like channels of people like taking shit apart and like putting it back together and stuff and i'm like dude you're gonna end up in jail one day i like yeah right I just know it. <laughs> that's crazy man i the, the one that cracks me up are the are the channels of people or kids opening their christmas presents and mm. kids just there's millions and millions of downloads of kids just watching other kids open Christmas presents, which is so sad. Yeah, they do unboxing videos and stuff where they'd rather watch kids like open toys and play with them than play with them themselves. Or they can't afford it. I mean, it's just yeah. it's it feels like something out of a Hunger Games movie where we're, or something where like we got this district over here that can't afford it, and this district that's just living life high and mighty, and and you can watch us enjoy our life i it just there's something weird about that plus you know parents making money off their kids feels kind of gross right <laughs> dude that's like uh um this one time though too we were playing me and killian were playing uh we were doing the co-op mode for portal 2 uh-huh i love and that he, game by the way yeah and he's like sitting there like he's like before even like walk into the room he's like all right, you need to go over here, and I need to go over here, and you need to pick up the companion cube and do this and that. And I was like, have you played this before? And he's like, oh, no. And I was like, then how do you know to do this? He's like, oh, I watched someone play it on YouTube. Well, so it's just, like, like, he, like, ruins the memor- fun. Yeah, he, like, memorized all the levels, like, every single level. He's like, we need to do this. So I was just like, I'd just dick around in the level and mess because I'm like, dude, I'm like, you already know how to solve all of these because you've already watched every yeah. video on how to beat this. It's kind of like the whole point of, of that is discovering it on your own, but I don't know. And, and and I hate to sound like an old fart, but I mean, that's because I am so pro-technology, man. Uh, I, I am that teacher that wishes that other teachers would be okay with students texting. Like, they are writing, guys. They are writing. They are reading when they are texting, and we're discouraging them from doing that and putting a pencil in their hand. When's the last time that you had to write something down? Exactly. I mean, can you can you think of it? I mean, I and I'm not saying that writing is bad. Like writing by hand is bad, but if we get to the point where we don't have our cell phone or we don't have a computer or something like that, we're going to have a lot bigger problems than whether or not we can actually hand write something. And 
I've I've got this I've got this app idea, and I don't know how to program. Maybe I'll have you do it. Maybe you <laughs> yeah. we'll go into business together, and we'll make this because you know how to program. Because I don't know how the hell to do any of this. But there should be an app that parents can install on their kids' cell phones. That is a grammar app that that keeps them from sending a text message until it is grammatically correct, until all the words are spelled correctly, until all the first letters of the sentences are capitalized, until there are punctuation at the end of the sentences, until the tenses match up and everything like that. And parents could even set it to that it has to be a certain threshold or certain percentage of grammatically correct in order for it to be sent. So you don't spell it correctly, you don't send the message. Uh, if that were like a standard thing on kids' phones, even in high school, then they're going to learn how to do it. They're going to learn how to spell correctly because they don't want to have to waste the time. They want to get that message out right now. Uh, you know they're I mean? going to learn the difference between your, your, and your. They're they're going to have to. <laughs> I just I, there's got to be a way to do that. To, you know, to lock these messages from being sent unless you spell it right. You know what I mean? And it, would, it could even do the auto, not autocorrect, turn the autocorrect feature off. Maybe not even turn the autocorrect feature off, but it, do the little red squiggly line that says, this word is spelled wrong. Go look it up. And then you look it up and you're going to remember it next time because next time you want to use that word, I don't want to have to go look it up again. They, they need some kind of incentive to know how to spell. I am in fourth grade. I have a fourth grade class, man. There are you kids are in, in my. Fourth grade. I am in fourth grade. There are kids in my class in a fourth grade classroom that are reading at a kindergarten reading level that I had to teach them how to read the word chop today. I had to show them that CH was a blend, that the O was a short O sound because of the constant vowel constant pattern, and then the P makes the P sound and put it all together like Sesame Street. Ch, ah, p, chop. Fourth grade, man. And I'm supposed to be teaching them how to write a narrative essay but they can't read the word chop. I could go on a whole tangent about the educational system, but I'll, I'll get fired if I do that. So. Yeah, I was like, I've seen videos of, uh, what is it, the like, like, for common core math and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and like, the just like, breaking it out, and like, watching videos of that, I guess... Like, from, like, an outside perspective of, like, already kind of just, like, knowing how to do it one way. But, like, uh-huh. as a kid, I guess, like, being taught this way, like, I get that it kind of shows, like, a almost like a roadmap that's a better visual representation, I guess, of how to get there. But, like, what gets me is, like, how many more steps it is and the fact that it's, like, forced, that it's, like, if you know like the shorter way of doing it, but you're forcing them to do this long ass, like grid of, instead of just multiplying the two numbers together, you're like doing this whole X, Y diagram of, okay, well this is this broken up this, and then you add it all together. And then this, and then this is what the two numbers would have been multiplied. If you would have just done it the old fashioned way like this, but. Well, what's funny is the old fashioned way that you're referring to was actually new math to our parents. When they were growing up and they learned what's called standard algorithm, where like if you're multiplying a two-digit number by two-digit number, you stack them on top of each other, you multiply the top number by the ones digit, then you put the little X, then you multiply the top number by the second digit, and then you add them together. That was new math. Common Core 
which I'm I am actually a proponent of now officially. Um, Common Core was how our grandparents and great grandparents did math. It was it was how they did it, and then somebody devised this new math way to do it to save time. The problem was is that when we learned math that way, we weren't understanding how math worked. We weren't understanding what multiplication was. We were just memorizing a process to get to the answer. We didn't know why we were multiplying by the ones digit and then by the tens digit and shifting over one. We had no clue why. But now the way that I teach my students how to do multiplication, I teach them common core method, which is not just the crazy way that you see those haters on on YouTube make these videos for how many steps it takes. That is one way that we teach common core math. I teach them, when I do multiplication, I teach them between five to seven different ways to do multiplication, which includes the standard algorithm that you were just talking about. And then part of common core is giving them all the options, teaching them all those different ways of doing it, and then letting the student pick the one that works best for them. If my student chooses to do standard algorithm because they are comfortable with it and that's the one they want, I don't care. As long as I can see the work that they did it and that they got the right answer, I don't care. If I have a kid that wants to do repeated addition, wants to add up 25, 16 times to do 25 times 16, he got the right answer. I don't care. Eventually, he's going to pick up tricks of the trade to make it go faster for him in his brain. And eventually, he'll do it in his head. By teaching Common Core to my class, There are students in my class that by the end of the year are able to multiply two-digit numbers by two-digit numbers in their head by doing these long-ass steps that you're talking about, but they don't don't wind up becoming long steps because they're doing them mentally and they've got them down to a process just like we had a process, but... Imagine you trying to do a two-digit number by two-digit number using U.S. standard algorithm. You're drawing in the air, right? I'm going to yeah. do this, and I'm going to carry the one, and i got to remember that one is there, and i got to remember where the X is. My kids can do it in their head because they have that process down. And like I said, that's how our grandparents did it. That's, that is straight up how they did it. And because our brains are so trained to do this method that we were taught, and that's the only way we were taught. You had to show your work this way, and there was no other method, even if you had another method in your head that worked. No, that's wrong. You have to do it this way. Our brain is turned off to any other method, and we're, and that's why a lot of our society is, is completely against Common Core and calls it this ass-backward stuff, and it's really not. So sorry for my soapbox, but... No, I'm, and see, yeah, I didn't particularly like have anything necessarily against... My, I guess, main complaint was that I've like seen pictures and stuff before where it was like they had the right answer, but they got hit for not showing it. They did it the, I guess, way I learned whatever, but they didn't show the work as common core. And that's like what they got hit on. But I completely, I mean, if common core works for, as long as you get the right answer, I mean, to well, me, it doesn't and, really matter. And, but, and in those instances where they're getting the right answer, but they're not doing the steps along the way, the correct way, that is for that particular lesson. I, you know, when I teach multiplication, I'll teach one or two lessons on one way how to do multiplication. And you have to show your work that way. Then when I go to the second one, you have to show it that way. Then when you show it the third way, you have to show it that way, fourth way, and so on. But then throughout the rest of the year, you choose whichever method you want that works best for your, the way that your brain functions, and I'm okay with it. But for that particular lesson, when I'm teaching you that method, I want you to learn that method this time. I want you to learn this method this time and that method that time. And then after that, you find the one that works best for you, and, and I'm cool with it. 
Wow, I had no idea we were going to talk about education on this podcast. I know. I was like, dude, I guess everyone's learning something today. Yeah. I was like, I learned a lot about... <laughs> well, what, what's interesting is that I've, I, I was completely against Common Core when I first started teaching because Common Core was just becoming a thing when I started a teacher. It was, it was becoming commonplace in, my, in our, uh, my state. And before that, it was, it was the new math way, which is now the old, old way. And so I was, I balked against it. I hated it. I'm like, why? This is so dumb. This, I know how to do this. It's so simple. But as I, become, as I become more seasoned of a teacher, I'm learning every year that kids, not every kid learns the same way. You know, standard algorithm works good for me because that's the way my brain works. I'm a very procedural person. You give me a step-by-step set of instructions, like a recipe, how to do math, I'm going to follow it. Some kids' brains don't work that way. And it's a big pill to swallow as a teacher to to accept the fact that just because it worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for every other kid. It's going to work for some kids, but I have to be versatile and be able to teach every possible way all that I can because <laughs> I have to teach all the kids. And I've actually sat down with parents who felt the same way I did at like a student teacher conference and showed them and said, look, I was where you were six, seven years ago when I started teaching. But I'm telling you by sitting with the kids and, and uh, showing them this method, your kid is doing better at multiplication and they understand how multiplication works better. And they're able to do this in their head and I prove it to them and say, do this. What's this times this in their head? I'll pull a calculator to show them. And I've turned them around to it. Now, they're not going to take the time to learn it because they don't. parents don't like to feel like their kids are smarter than they are. Right. So they don't, and that's where a lot of the frustration comes in is kids are bringing home their homework and their parents don't know how to help them because they don't understand the process. And they're not willing to take the time and critically think through that problem to figure it out. And that's where the big problem with the, with the change comes in is people just don't like change. So, but I've turned a couple parents around and been like, okay, you got me and, and keep doing what you're doing. So I was like, uh, do your kids, have your kids learned cursive? (laughs) It is now a state law in the state of Illinois that we have to teach cursive. I've never taught cursive. (laughs) So I don't know how I'm going to get my hands slapped. I think it would be our district that would get in trouble before I would, but why is cursive a thing? That just, that blows my mind that we're hanging on to that, that kind of writing. People will be like, oh, well, we got to read the kids need to be able to read the constitution. Like it's not printed in type 9,000 other places on the planet. That is not a problem because they can't, they're never going to see the original document. Dumbasses. I, I just <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I just remember in high school, they're like, like you have to le- or like learning cursive in like grade because I think I learned cursive in like third or fourth grade or something like that, and it was like, it's like you need to learn this now because in high school that's how you're all have to write for everything, and then you go to high school and it's like there was like maybe like one or two essays at like the end of the year or something where you actually had to write it out in cursive or something stupid like that on paper. Can you remember the last paper that you had to write in longhand? Uh, it was in high school. Like it was like yeah. junior senior year of high school. And I don't know I don't know how old you are, but that for me was 97 98. Uh for, so well, oh, I was like for me that was like 2008. Okay, so you're shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you're like but, 
You're like weird flex, but okay. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that was that was twenty years ago for me. I that that's that's ridiculous. That uh, twenty years ago, and I and I'm still supposed to be teaching that. It's like an archaic language. The la- the, the last time that I had to write anything in cursive was my signature. I have never had to write anything in cursive. And even your signature, why does it have to be in cursive? I just do that because that's how I did it my entire life. Most kids nowadays, when they write their name, it's print. It still looks like their handwriting. Well, yeah, even when I do my signature, it's literally a cursive J followed by a line of scribble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, congratulations. You have, you have, <laughs> you have a cursive handwriting there. Yeah, right. <laughs> people that are afraid to let old things go. Uh, it's just insane to me. It, ah, cursive, it's just so dumb. What a waste of time. I don't have time to teach my kids how to read. And you're going to tell me i got to read, teach them how to... How to cause, you're cause, like, cause half I, these kids can barely write in just normal print. And you would right. try and learn like, how yeah. to write a letter a different way. Because a cursive B makes so much freaking sense. Do you remember that? What kind of yeah. crap was that? It was like an L with a little squiggly thing. What? How is that a B? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it dude well that's like my mom knows how to write like like legit like shorthand and oh really stuff, like actual shorthand and like there's been times i guess where like in meetings at work and stuff she's like taking notes in like legit shorthand and someone's like looking at it and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, it's just scribbles or whatever. And mom's like, it's shorthand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how shorthand works either, but I'd like to learn. And that was probably, like, the cursive of, like, her era because she's, like, in her late 50s. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, where where can our listeners listen to you? Well, like we mentioned at the top of the show, I have a podcast called The Gaming Outsider, and you can find that uh, pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, uh, and Spotify. We're actually on on there as well. Or if you'd like to stream it directly from our website, that is thegamingoutsider.com, and the website will also house all of our written reviews, uh, bios on us, and any other uh, activities that we do, so be sure to check out that website. I also have a second podcast. I'm a big football fan. I love the Green Bay Packers, and I have a podcast called the Packers Fan Podcast, which you can find the same places or our, our website, PackersFanPodcast.com. So if you're a fan of the Packers, please check us out there and uh, come check out us talking about some games at the Gaming Outsider as well. That's what's up. I was like, do you have uh, any any like parting words of wisdom or anything before we wrap this bad boy up? Well, I think... We wrap up every episode of my show with our our catchphrase, which is, remember, there's no such thing as a bad game, just games that aren't for you. And I want to explain to those of you that that have never listened to our show that when we end the show that way, we're not saying that in a literal sense. We understand that there are, that Superman 64 exists, right? (laughs) But there is somebody out there that has found some element of joy in that game. As much as I hated it every minute of that game, we had some good laughs playing it on a stream at how terrible it was. So somebody's worst game of all time, somebody had fun with it. So 
just don't crap on everybody else's enjoyment, I guess. Is, and that's kind of why I started podcasting to begin with is because I got tired of listening to podcasters just just shit all over other people's work that they spent a lot of time in, even if it wasn't the greatest game on the planet. It was their lifeblood. And somebody else had fun with it. And I, I get so tired of people thriving on the internet by being overly negative. And, and, and unfortunately, that's what get clicks, is, is people just like ragging on a game. I'd rather celebrate this hobby of mine, which is video games, and instead of bringing up games that I just hate all the time, let's celebrate the ones that we do like. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to be objective. We're going we're gonna to treat reviews fairly. We're going to be honest about it and give, give fair criticism, but we're not going to be jerks about it. So, yeah, no such thing as a bad game, just ones that aren't for you because they are for somebody else. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that too. I mean, I feel like there's... Games like, you know, like Dante's Inferno. Like Dante's Inferno wasn't a bad game. It wasn't a great game, but I liked it. I liked yeah, it. yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was a decent, like, God of War esque knockoff. When there wasn't a God of War three, like they knew their market. They, like, it wasn't anything like horrible, but like it just got basically shit on for not being God of War. <laughs> I really liked it, man. That that game went some places. They pushed the envelope in terms of visual imagery in that game. That uh, holy cow! Um, I will say, screw the final boss of that game because oh my god, I almost put a controller through a window with that game. And I think that might be the first penis I've seen in a video game. Did you fe- did you beat the final boss of Dante's Inferno? No, I was like. I I don't remember how far. I know I I got I think a decent way. I'd say at least halfway through the game. But. It gets tough. It gets ridiculously tough. Yeah, and the final boss is a big naked demon with a big big wanger just like swinging in the wind. Dude, well that's like did you ever play uh DMC? I uh, not very long. Uh that, that that's a series that I've tried so many times to get into and I just can't for some oh, reason. Oh man. Dude, I was like I, I'm a huge Devil May Cry fan, and even though DMC got shit on really hard for Dante not looking like Dante and being weird or whatever, the game was still really good. And I mm-hmm. think out of all the Devil May Cry games, it had some of the most like memorable boss fights were in that one. Because there's one where it's like this giant crazy woman thing, whatever, and she has this like basically this like fetus thing that you like basically abort out of her by like slicing wow. into her and like ripping it out. Yeah, that's <laughs> so messed it up. goes some places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's also not a game to take seriously. Uh, I think oh, I yeah. played but, I, I think I played the the most recent one more than any others and that just is like is this what the series has been like this whole time? Like it's just oh. so over the top and oh, what was the line that we, we quoted it on our show. Uh, I don't think it was Dante. Who's the other character in the in the fifth one? Uh, well, there's Dante, Nero, V, and then I really like the uh, the chick who drives the van. Then yeah. she has some really good singers. I think I think it was Nero. It said some. He was just the real like tough and like yeah. I'm just gonna say these like dude bro lines. He says, "Hope you bring in the marshmallows because I'm bringing the flame" or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. it was, 
is one of my favorite lines in a video game in a long time, and Zach and I had a good laugh with that on our show. So, yeah, dude, that's like in Devil May Cry Four. Um, one of the weapons Dante gets is this like just a briefcase, and he opens it, and like all these like guns start like coming out of it, and it like forms around him into this like circle gun mech thing that just shoots in like all directions and stuff, and it's so over the top and i'm like this is some like Here. iron man shit like in this briefcase that sounds very japanese yeah <laughs> just like i yeah. love the motorcycle swords in five. Oh man have you ever played uh um shadow uh is it shadow of the damned you ever played that game it was a suda 51 game uh like that name sounds familiar but i don't oh, think man. i played because i played like you know like uh, Killer Seven and No More Heroes. And... Okay. If you if you don't remember playing it, then you haven't played it because that yeah. game is oh my god. There is a you play as Garcia Hotspur. This is is his character's name, and he says it all the time, but he uses an expletive in between it, which is makes it freaking cool as hell. But um, he's got a a his sidekick is this floating skull head named Johnson. That was like the best voice acting work of that year. Uh, he was just he was just hilarious and quippy, and he had a British accent, and it was great. But there is a moment in that game where Johnson is not only like this floating skull, but he's also your your gun. He like transforms into your into this pistol that has like a skull on the end of it. It's really cool and campy. But at one point, you have to fight off these giant mechanical or giant these giants. And so you have to turn Johnson into a giant cannon. That's like a, it's like, like, like imagine Squall's sword from Final Fantasy VIII, but more of like a rifle instead of a blade attached to it. It's like it's that size. And it grows to about five feet long. And Garcia Hotspur holds it at his hip. And it's his Johnson. <laughs> so you can kind of catch, like, and there's this turret sequence where you spin around. And it's it's called his boner gun. He actually says my, he says my big boner whenever he fires the gun, and it is it is the most Japanese weird game. But you have to play it. It is so bizarre and out there that oh, it's I don't know how well it holds up now gameplay wise, but I I freaking loved that game. And Garcia in Hotspur was just so good. <laughs> That's <laughs> like I've always wanted. I haven't played any of them, but I've always kind of wanted to check out, you know, like the Yakuza or like Fist of the North Star games and stuff. Never, I've heard they're really like over the top and weird like that. Yeah, I've never played those either. I'd be interested though for sure, but there's just too many games to play, man. <laughs> too many games and not enough time. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> But all right, for, for real this time, though, we're going to wrap up the episode. And I want to thank thank you, everyone, for uh, listening and for, I know there was like a, I think it was like a two-week gap and stuff, but I'm not planning on going anywhere on vacation anytime soon, so should have consistent weekly episodes again. So I appreciate it, and uh, I'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for having me, man.